The title of this morning's message is Sons of God. The last time I ministered, we looked at the truth that there really is nothing at all wrong with who we are. There might be something wrong with our thinking. There might be something wrong with our choices. But the truth is, God says there's really nothing at all wrong with who we are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, he has made us the very righteousness of God. In 1 John 4, 17b, it says, Because as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. We are right now in this world just like Jesus in our spirit. As born-again believers, we are all just like Jesus in our spirit. When we were born again by the Holy Spirit, God became our Father, and we became his child. But he tells us in his word that we are also made sons of God, all of us. Even the females were sons. (laughs) All of us are his children, and all of us are his sons. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is what does it mean that we are sons? In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. I'm using the King James Version. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now when you read this in different versions, and I've chosen the ESV, I want you to see that as well, it says something different. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Greek word translated both sons and children is the same Greek word. It is technon, and it means child. The Strong's Concordance says Technon simply means child. It can refer to a daughter or a son, but most of the time, 99% of the time, it is translated children or child. It doesn't necessarily infer age or maturity level or a sex, a gender of any kind. It simply describes a life relationship, a parent and a child. (laughs) The children come out of parents. That's the the connotation this word has. Our physical life and nature came from our parents. They produced us. And now we are forever their child. Regardless of how old we are or how mature we are, we are always their child. That's a life relationship. Our life came out of them, and so it is with God. Our new life came out of God. He produced us as children through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are forever his children, his offspring, whether male or female. And that's how the word technon is mainly used. It denotes the direct relationship of life of parent and child. Context and interpretation determine if they would translate it son or daughter, which they almost never do. Now, there is another Greek word also translated sons, and it's the word huios. And it simply means son. Don't you like it when it's easy? (laughs) It's a male offspring. It means son. That's the only thing that it means. Jesus is referred to as technon only once in the entire scripture. And that was by his mama when he was 12. (laughs) Mama has the right to say, boy, (laughs) I've been looking for you. (laughs) 
But nowhere else in scripture is Jesus ever referred to as a technon, a child. He's always referred to as the son. He was even called the son at his birth. Huios, the son of God. He was always the son. He was never denoted to be simply a child. Now, I bring up the two different words, son, because we're going to look at a portion of scripture where both of these are used in reference to believers. It's technon and helios, and we are both. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Beginning with verse 12, it says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In this passage of scripture, these two words are actually translated correctly. That's not the case everywhere. <laughs> Just so you know, if you want to know what the word actually is, you're going to have to look at the Greek. But in this passage of scripture, technon is children and sons is huios. In a lot of the newer versions, they take out the word sons in reference to believers on purpose because they want to be gender neutral. They don't want the girls being offended that they're sons and not girls. <laughs> that misses the whole point of using the word huios. And that's what's wrong with changing the scripture for a cultural interpretation. So beginning in verse 12, it says this, therefore, that means you can't understand what's coming next unless you know what came before. So whenever we start out with therefore, we have to know what our context is. In this chapter, chapter 8, the Apostle Paul has already explained to his reader the difference between being in the spirit and being in the flesh, which is in the spirit is in Christ, in the flesh is in Adam. Born again, not born again. He explains the difference between going after the flesh, which is on the outside of you. We follow after our fleshly desires versus following after the Holy Spirit. He explains all of that. And that's what came before. And then right before these verses, he also explains that we have not yet experienced our complete salvation package. At some point, our bodies are going to be redeemed as well. He's saying, you have salvation, but you don't have all of it yet. There is some coming. <laughs> there is the resurrection of your body, and there is heaven. There's more to this even though what you have is really good. So that's what he's already explained. And then he begins in verse 12. What he really says here is he reiterates the fact that flesh is bad and produces death, and the spirit is good and produces life. So that's really his train of thought. So he says, Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now he's already explained to us what living after the flesh means. It produces something called death. So we can't take the scripture and say, well, if I sin, I'm going to die and go to hell. 
It doesn't mean that. <laughs> he's still continuing on the same thought. That's why we always have to go back to context. He's already explained to them, flesh produces death in our life. Death is anything under the curse. He says, stay away from that. You won't like the results. So we can't just take this out of the context and make it say something it doesn't say. But then he goes on and he says, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Paul never says that we can conquer our flesh by killing it. Jesus died once, and we died with him. We don't get up and crucify ourselves every day. You can't crucify flesh. Part of our flesh is this human body we live in. And we are not nailing this thing to a cross every day. That's not what that means. But he says we can mortify the deeds. Okay? So that's something you don't usually hear. You usually hear, kill that flesh. Put it under. Flesh is not dying. <laughs> we died. That's how we got free from it. We have already been given all the power we need through the Holy Spirit to take dominion over our flesh and to make it do what Jesus says it ought to do. We are no longer slaves to flesh. Before Christ, everyone's a slave to flesh. The flesh is always demanding what you should and shouldn't do. The flesh says you will have a cigarette. I don't care if it's inconvenient. The flesh says you will eat now because I'm hungry. The flesh says you will sleep longer than you need to because I'm tired. The flesh is a taskmaster, always trying to take dominion over us. And that's why he says through the spirit, though, you can mortify the deeds of the body. And we have to see it that way. We are not mortifying us. We're mortifying deeds. We have authority. Because we have already been made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, we have the power to tell our flesh to shut up. I love that because it's scriptural. When Jesus was in the storm, he stood up in the boat and he said, Peace be still. Now that sounds so beautiful. But if you look at the Greek, he said, Shut your mouth. That's what he said to the storm. So we can say to our flesh, shut your mouth. You don't have authority here. I do. <laughs> so we can kill the deeds of our body by changing our mind, by choosing to be spiritually minded, which is part of what he's already talked about in this passage of Scripture. We can choose to stop thinking carnally and start thinking spiritually. We are supposed to take dominion over the flesh. We're not supposed to wage war with our flesh. Our flesh is no match for Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Our flesh is no match for Jesus. But it takes a different change of mind to say, wait a minute, I am no longer a slave. You see, I think we should take that song and add to it. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am no longer a slave to my flesh. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer a slave to darkness. I am no longer a slave. We have to get out of the slave mentality that there's something other than Jesus over us. We have been given Christ himself. He's already conquered all of that, and he gives all that conquering status and power to us. So we can mortify the deeds of our flesh. How do we do that? Verse 14. For as many as are led 
by the Spirit of God. They are sons of God. That's Huios. He's telling us, you're sons. I like that. He's going to marry that to the next verse here pretty soon. But first, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It does not say, for as many as follow the leading of the Spirit of God, they are mature sons of God. Do you see following anywhere in that verse? No. <laughs> but that's usually how we interpret it. The sons of God are the ones who are doing it right. The ones who are following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what it says. It says if you are led, you are a son. Who's led? Let's see some hands. <laughs> Who's led? <laughs> if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are led by the Holy Spirit, whether you are aware of it or not. A couple of weeks ago, at the healing school, my husband had a dentist appointment. So he comes and helps me set it all up, but he wouldn't have time to go all the way home. So he was going to meet me there. So when I get there, I get ready to get out of the car and I hear this thought, take your purse and your drink with you. And I thought, no, I'll just do it all at once. I'll just carry everything in at once. And I went up towards the front of the building to get the key for the conference room. I do that, I get to the conference room, my husband has already been there. He has already taken everything out of the car, except my purse and drink. You know that V8 commercial? Clunk. <laughs> oh, that was you. That was you, Jesus. <laughs> that very same night, Lauren tells me, before healing school began, he was walking down the hallway towards the front of the building where there's coffee. And he sees people coming. Well, it's a hotel. Of course there are people in the hallway. And he has this thought. Talk to them. Introduce yourself. And he thought, no, they'll think I'm a nut. <laughs> so he goes and gets his coffee. He comes back to the conference room and guess who's there? Clunk. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus, that was you. <laughs> Were we being led? Yes. Were we following? No. <laughs> was God mad at us? No. Why did he want us to see that? Well, for this message, obviously. <laughs> but he shows us when we miss his leading so that one, we know we are sons and we are always led. And that's his point. Sweetheart, you're being led even when you don't know it. You may think it's just your thoughts, but sweetheart, you are being led. Who do you know that has accepted Jesus, but they're not walking in all the benefits that God wants them to? Holy Spirit is still leading them. Holy Spirit is still drawing them towards what's best for him. Do we always listen? No. But we can be aware of the fact that as a son of God, Holy Spirit will always lead me, even if I don't listen. The Holy Spirit has a way of leading us that is specific to us. Years ago, I knew a police officer who was a quote-unquote recovering alcoholic. And he had accepted Christ, but he didn't go to church. He hadn't been discipled. So all he knew was God was real and he could talk to him. 
<laughs> but he struggled with alcoholism. He told me, he says, this is the craziest thing. He said, he said, I've been clean for like a year. And he was a clean eater, you know, only healthy foods, only drank water. But he still struggled with the physical cravings of alcohol. And one night it got really bad. It was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. He's like, God, if you don't help me, I'm going to start drinking. And as a police officer, there's a lot of stress. And he wasn't handling it very well at that point. And he's like, God, if you don't give me a way out of this, I'm going to go back drinking. And the Holy Spirit said, get dressed, go to the convenience store, and get a big, giant fountain pop. And he thought, that's dumb. <laughs> that's a crazy thing to do when you want to drink alcohol. <laughs> so, but he was still fighting with it. Finally, he's like, what do I got to lose? So he went and got a big fountain pop at 2 o'clock in the morning. And what it did was it calmed his body down. His body said, sugar, yum. <laughs> his body was demanding the sugar that was in alcohol. He was surprised that God could lead him to give him something naturally to do to fix his problem. He didn't want to give in to the flesh. He was being led. No, alcohol is not the way to solve your problems. He was being led. So God did something that was specific for him. So he told me, he said, every three or four months it happens. The overwhelming physical desire for alcohol overtakes him. He says, no matter what time of day, I go to the <laughs> convenience store and get a big giant fountain pop, and it stops. God has an answer for whatever we battle with. God has an alternative, if you will. God has a way of leading us in answering our prayers, especially when we think about our fleshly appetites. Now, I want you to see verse 14. I translated verse 14 myself. I want you to see that. <laughs> Valerie's version. There it is. <laughs> when I looked at as many as are led, I thought, that's a funny way to say it because it sounds like God is saying only a select few are sons of God. Only those who are led, a select few, are sons of God. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. So I looked at what else as many as could be translated as. Well, guess what? Whosoever. Now, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense? <laughs> Whosoever is led by the Holy Spirit is a son of God. I like that. So we're going to keep that. <laughs> and I'm going to marry it with verse 15 in the NIV. The reason Paul calls us sons of God is because of the next verse. And it says this. Now, in the King James, it starts with the word for. For means because. The NIV didn't marry those two thoughts together, but God meant them to be married together because one explains the other. So, because all the whosoever's led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God because the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The NIV was the only translation I saw that really brought out the whole concept of adoption being sonship, because that's exactly what it means. Adoption means to place as a son, period. 
It doesn't mean you're a male person. It means I'm taking this person and I'm placing sonship on you. That's why females are sons. We have been adopted into the position of a son. The Holy Spirit never makes us a slave. Never makes us a slave. You know, for years I thought God was a hard taskmaster. You know, he wanted me to fast, and he wanted me to do things that were hard, you know, stay up late and get up early and read and memorize and hard taskmaster. No, that was never what God wanted from me. God always wanted a relationship with me. He wanted me to know I was a son. <laughs> God has made us free, and we are all legally sons. Now, Paul says the exact same thing over in Galatians chapter 3 and 4, beginning with verse 25 through chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. I mean, what he's talking about here is that the difference between being under grace and faith versus being under the law and works. And it says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I put children in parentheses because it's not children. <laughs> it should be huios. It's huios. It's sons. To really see what God is trying to say, we have to look at the Greek because translators try to help. <laughs> I try to help God. <laughs> this is really super important here that he says sons and not children because children could be male or female, slave or free. Jew or Gentile, okay? It's important that he uses the word sons. For ye are all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. This statement probably got him stoned. This statement offended everybody. First of all, the Jews were sure they were way above Gentiles. You're going to tell me a Gentile is equal to me in front of God? No good Jew would settle for that. You're going to tell a free man he's equal to a slave? The free man's not going to buy that. You're going to tell any man, Jew or Gentile, <laughs> bond or free, that he's equal to a woman? This went countercultural everywhere. It still does. All over the world today, women are forbade to preach the word of God. Forbidden. Because they're not as positioned as men. They're not as favored as men. This was like saying, Democrats and Republicans are the same. <laughs> you're going to make all the Democrats mad, and you're going to make all the Republicans mad. <laughs> this statement made everybody mad. But Paul wants everyone to know that our father is not like human fathers. Our adoption is not like human adoptions. Our Father doesn't prefer boys to girls. He doesn't prefer Jews to Gentiles, and he doesn't prefer freemen to slaves. 
None of the exterior stuff colors the way our Father sees us. He says we are his sons, all of us. Verse 29 says, And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. And now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. He's still talking about Jews under the law versus Christians under grace. Under the law, that's when they were children. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, again, he's talking about Judaism. Not about Christians being babies or new Christians. He's talking about being under the law. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage. We were in slavery under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. I think he did that just to poke people with a stick. <laughs> you don't think women are the bottom of the barrel? Well, honey, the Savior came out of a woman. <laughs> he just likes to poke people, I think. Made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The word redeem is always to point us to redemption. And redemption is a picture of a slave market. He says, everyone was a slave. You think women and slaves are at the bottom of the barrel? Well, you all were slaves. <laughs> you all were slaves to sin and death. You were all slaves. There was no way for you to get out. There was no way for you to buy your way out, work your way out. You had no way out. And you had to be bought to be free. And he says, that's what Jesus did. Jesus went into the slave market and paid the purchase price to set all of the slaves free. <laughs> he takes all the slaves he bought, and he says, I'm going to adopt you as sons. Who does such an extravagant thing as to take slaves and adopt them into their own family? Verse 6, and because ye are sons, Huios, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, it's actually slave, you are no longer slaves, but sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are all heirs of God. We have an inheritance. And part of that which we can start spending right now. Yet part of our inheritance is heaven, and part of our inheritance is we're going to get brand new bodies, but part of our inheritance is in the kingdom of God, and we can start making withdrawals because we're sons. According to Galatians 4, 5 here, we aren't just sons, we're adopted sons. Did you notice that? In addition to being born of God, because he's already called us his children, and we already have that life connection, so we're children born of him, but then he's going to turn around and he's going to adopt us too. Paul was making the same point about adopted sons over in Romans 8, where we started. We are adopted sons. We are not just girls or Gentiles or slaves. We are all then adopted into the position of a son. Now, if you look again at Valerie's version, for all the whosoever's led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, because the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Now I wanted to bring this out because slavery and fear go hand in hand. 
Fear is always, always, always from Satan. But so many believers are slaves to their fears. We have authority over fear. We can tell fear to shut up. <laughs> we can choose to be spiritually minded and see ourselves as ruling and reigning sons instead of victims and slaves of whatever Satan or life throws at us. We do not need to live in fear because we have been made sons. And it goes on. Rather, the spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption to sonship means to be placed legally as a son. Sonship declares our right to our inheritance. The Apostle Paul purposely uses the word sons in verse 14 to reveal the truth of our sonship in verse 15, where he contrasts the fact that we are not slaves, but we are sons. And not just sons, adopted sons. Because being an adopted son was actually better than being a natural son. At that time in history, adoption was basically unheard of among Jews. They took care of their own. They didn't have official adoption. So this wasn't something that Paul took from the law. Paul took this from culture. It was a definite reality in Rome, and everyone knew the laws of adoption. But adoption in Rome was not like adoption today. They did not adopt babies. In fact, they were lucky to get babies to age 10. One of the ways a woman could be emancipated and become free was if she managed to get four children past the age of 10. Their infant mortality rate was through the roof. So they said if any woman can raise four kids to age 10, she can be a free woman. <laughs> so there wasn't any babies being adopted. Back then, adoption was for the express purpose of providing an heir to someone who didn't have a son. If someone was childless or they only had girls, they could adopt a young man who would then legally inherit that person's name, wealth, power, and influence. Adoption was used primarily as a means of controlling who was ruling and reigning the government. So when an adoptive father died, the adopted son would step into everything the father had. If he was a senator, his son would become a senator. That's how they kept the ruling class the ruling class. In fact, several Roman rulers actually chose their successors by adopting them. They didn't want their power to fall into somebody else's hands, so they adopted who they wanted to continue the ruling and reigning. If he had had a natural son, that's how it would have worked as well. So an adopted son had all the same rights as a natural son. We see the similarities that the Apostle Paul is trying to paint for us here. He wants us, his sons, to control who's ruling and reigning on the earth. We have the power and position of sons. We can rule and reign on this earth through Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to have. He wants to give us all of his, our Father's, ruling and reigning authority. And he has done that through Christ. Any son, natural or adoptive, automatically had his Father's power of attorney for the purpose of doing business. So a son was considered the legal equivalent to his father. That meant the son could do anything in his Father's name. You know, most of us would probably have no problem saying, yes, Jesus is the legal equivalent to the Father. But we're in Jesus. 
we are the legal equivalent to our Father ruling and reigning on this earth. What if we believed that? What if we believed I had power of attorney from my Father in heaven to do his kingdom business here on earth? If I really believed that Father says, lay hands on the sick, they're going to recover, would we believe it? Would it change the way we think if we understood the power of attorney that we have been given in Christ? I think it would. Now, there was one benefit that an adopted son had that a natural son did not have. An adopted son could not be disowned, sold into slavery, or killed. An adopted son was permanently a son, regardless of what he did. In Paul's time, the father was the head of the household and had complete control over his home and family. If your father didn't want you, because maybe you were a girl, he could sell you or he could kill you. And if you were a boy and he had a couple extra sons and you managed to tick him off, <laughs> he could legally decide to take your life or sell you as a slave. But if you were an adopted son, he couldn't do any of those things. An adopted son was permanent. It was absolutely against the law to disown, sell into slavery, or kill an adopted son for any reason. Now, as believers, we need to know that our Father is a good, good Father, and He has placed all of us as sons, adopted sons, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have been adopted, and adopted sons are permanently sons. And the Holy Spirit within us enables us to recognize our sonship. And when we recognize our sonship, we cry out, Abba, Father, good, good, Father, He's made me a son. The NIV in verse 15, of course, says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. When we see and understand what our Father has done, then we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic for the word Father. If they had translated it from the Aramaic, it would say, Father, Father. But then it would lose its implication. The reason they left that there is because Aramaic was the family language. Lots of people teach their children a language at home, and then they have a language outside of home. Some people speak Spanish at home, and then English in public. Same kind of thing happened with the Jews. They would speak Aramaic and Hebrew, and out in the world they would speak Greek. So they had three languages. But Aramaic was that familiar language. It indicated we're close. We're close physically, we're close relationally. So that's why people say it could be translated daddy. Technically, that's not true. But that's the heart of what it means, is that father and son have a very close but respectful relationship because it is the word father. It is the fact that it's in a different language that gives it the connotation of closeness. Our father is an up-close and personal father. We are born of his spirit as his children. We're born of him, and then he places us as sons in his family. He loves us with an extravagant love. He never wanted slaves. He never wanted slaves. He always wanted sons. He always wanted that up-close and personal relationship. 
He wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us, as dearly loved children who recognize God as their good, good father. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Right here, John is encouraging us to look at what manner of love the Father has bestowed. He wants us to contemplate how lavish this love is, how ridiculous it is that the Father in heaven would buy a whole bunch of slaves and make them his kids. It is extravagant love. And he wants us to understand just how unreasonable <laughs> this love is. <laughs> and that he demonstrated his love by making us his kids. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John here calls us, beloved, dearly loved. Right now, he says, right now we're God's kids. Right now we're sons. Right now we have inheritance. Right now we have power and authority. We are God's kids now. It's not just something that happens when we go home to heaven. <laughs> we need to know who we are in relation to our Father. We need to know what power we have. We need to know how much we're loved. Knowing how much we're loved gives us our identity, where we're secure, where we're not living in fear, we're not ran by our flesh, because we are overwhelmed by the love of our Father. Now, both of these scriptures here, the word translated sons is not actually the word helios. It's technon. It should actually be translated children. The newer translations actually updated it. It doesn't change anything that I've told you. It just depends on the author. You see, the Apostle Paul was trying to convey a truth to mostly Gentile churches. So he used a cultural example for them to understand what God has done for them. But the Apostle John, he's the Apostle of love, okay? He's more interested in presenting us as children life relationship. All of John, First John, is all about love. And that was his point. Understand that you are dearly loved children. The Apostle John only uses the word huios in relation to Christ. That's the only reason it's not translated sons. He used the word children. Because for John, the Apostle of love, the word son was special, and it represented God's Son, God's love. So he kept it sacred, if you will. He only used it in reference to Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, you people need to know your sons. <laughs> you need to know your position. <laughs> so they had two different approaches, and that's why you see the difference in the way it's translated. The Apostle John and the Apostle Paul both wanted us to know who we were that we are dearly loved, and that we have the position, power, and authority of a son. Together we can see the truth of the good, good father who would buy a bunch of slaves and adopt them. <laughs> but in all of this, you see the truth that our Heavenly Father is different. Do you know how long I believed God might disown me? How long I believed 
God would leave me if I messed up bad enough. You see, I had a wrong picture of the good, good father. I had a wrong picture of my position as a son. The picture Paul paints is that as adopted sons, God will never leave us, God will never forsake us, he will never sell us into slavery, and he'll never kill us off. <laughs> but you know how many believers today, right now, around the world, believe all of those things are possible for them? That if I mess up bad enough, God might kill me or give me a disease to punish me? They don't know the truth of who their good, good father is. And they don't know the truth that they're no longer slaves. And they don't know the truth that they're not only sons, they're adopted sons. They're permanently sons. It goes on in Romans 8, 16, it says this, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Here the Apostle Paul comes back again. He says, now that you know you got your power, your position, your authority, you need to go always back to the truth that you have a life-giving relationship with the Father. You are dearly loved children. He says, and if you're children, you're heirs. Whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're a slave or free, you're all heirs. However you see yourself, you are heirs of God and of Christ, co-heirs with Christ. God's kids inherit all that God is. We inherit Him, His life, His kingdom, His love, His peace, His joy. We inherit Him and all that He has. That's just frosting on the cake. What I hope you leave here today with is a better understanding of what our sonship is. Our sonship is not about our spiritual maturity our age, our gender, our ethnicity, or our economic class. Sonship is all about a father who so loves all of his children that he wants all of them to share in all that he has and all that he has provided for us through Christ. All people are dearly loved by the Father, so much so God himself came to earth wrapped in flesh to pay the purchase price needed to buy all of mankind out of slavery to sin, death, and fear. And after the purchase price was made, he did something almost too good to be true. He took the slaves that he bought and he made them free men. And then he turned around and adopted whosoever would as his very own sons and legal heirs. You and I can choose to walk in sonship. We can choose to believe in the good, good Father who set us free. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, so we don't have to be slaves to flesh or carnality. We have been made free. We don't have to be slaves to sickness and disease and poverty. We have been made free. We are sons, and we are adopted sons. We have the choice whether or not we want to rule and reign in this life by knowing who we are or letting the world tell us who they think we are. We are adopted sons, and we are forever sons. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will never sell us into slavery. You will never disown us. You are a good, 
good father. You so loved us. You have made us and placed us as sons, even as the son at your right hand. We are sons at your right hand to do your kingdom business here on this earth. Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our understanding that we are being led all of the time. Holy Spirit is always leading us, always bringing us into the truth, always bringing us more into knowing who we are and what you want to do through us. Father God, help us take our authority. Help us to say no to our flesh. Tell it to shut up. Help us remind us to say no to fear, to tell it to shut up, that we are not slaves. We have been made free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you help us walk in all that you have bought and paid for. Help us to take our sonship and change this world. Even if it's just talking to people who are walking down a hall, that we would step out and say, I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. And if the world thinks I'm crazy, I'm following after my Father. I'm walking as a son. I'm walking in all that you've called me to do. And Father, I thank you for your amazing grace that enables us to do all that you call us to. You enable us to love. You enable us to say no. You enable us. You are our life. We thank you for this life-giving relationship of parent and child. And we thank you for all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.